Hey, this is Pastor Sean Beatty from Clovis Hills Community Church. We're so glad you're listening to our podcast. If you want more information about the church, go to www.clovishills.com or you can download our app in your iTunes or Google Play Store. Enjoy the podcast. Easter is like Super Bowl for pastors. I'm just letting you know. It's full house. It's awesome. This morning, um, just, just so you know, too, like, um, like there's a lot of churches in this part of town, a lot of great churches in this part of town. And um, sometimes people think like we're all competitive. Um, although I did tell you guys all to go, go to people's church egg hunt yesterday and bring 100 eggs here. Um, <laughs> but I, I want you to know something. Um, all the pastors in this area, we are all brothers and we're friends. And one of the coolest things Around 7 a.m. this morning, while I was preaching at the sunrise service, my phone's just blowing up, and it was a text thread, and it's all the pastors in this area, and we were all texting each other, saying, go give them the gospel, go give them the gospel, and that, that's what I want you to know. Um, that's the Christian community in, in this place, so we joke about being competitive, and we might be a little bit, but um, we love each other, and we're brothers, and it's a cool thing. Uh, I don't know about you, um, I, I am one of those kind of, I like taking risks. I grew up surfing, skateboarding, snowboarding, riding motorcycles. I'm a skydiving, bungee jumping, pinto driving kind of guy, okay? <laughs> I like those kind of things. They're fun for me. Um, I'm not like super crazy. Like I have friends that do things that, that blow my mind. Um, but, you know, I do, I am a little bit of an adrenaline junkie. And uh, a few years ago, a friend of mine, he's a pastor, he's a um, really good rock climber, like very advanced. He had a couple guys in his church that are, um, you know, they, they're professional rock climbers, what they do, and they climb the craziest places on the planet. And they started taking him with them and teaching him. So he got very good at it, and he called me one day. He's like, hey, I'm going to Yosemite. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to climb. You need to come. I, wanna cl- I want you to climb with me. And I was like, uh, I've been to a climbing gym like once. That's, I, I don't know, dude. And he goes, well, you know, if you don't want to go, I could call a man and um, get, I mean, just kind of shaming me into it, right? And I'm like, okay, and his name's Jason. So uh, I decide, I go, to, I go to Yosemite with him and trained, lost a little weight, you know, tried to be ready to do this. And um, so he takes me to this place, and it's on El Capitan, and um, he says, hey, I'm going to take you to a place that's going to scare you. You're going to pee your pants. And I was like, awesome, I think. <laughs> so, I, you know, we, we climb up this, the, we free climb, no ropes, up this part of El Capitan. It says, it's not an inverted part yet, right? So we, we get up there, and we're on this ledge. And I don't know how high we are. It, it, 1,500, a million feet. It was way too high. And we're up there with no ropes, and I'm standing on this ledge, Right? And there's this rope hanging down off another ledge about 100 feet up. And he goes, okay, um, you're going to hook that rope to you. And I'm thinking, oh, that's like a safety rope or whatever. He goes, you're going to hook that rope to you, and we're going to push you, and you're going to swing about 1,000 feet out. It's amazing. I said, no, I'm not. <laughs> he goes, no, 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 you're going you're to do it, man. You're going to do it. And I was like, no, that's crazy. I go, who put, the, who put this rope here? He goes, I don't know. You want me to do that? You don't even know who put the rope there? I go, how old is this rope? He goes, look, I did it yesterday. It's totally fine. He goes, look, and he kind of hangs on it, and I'm like, you don't know who put that rope there, and you swung 1,000 feet out into the valley floor. 
you're an idiot. He goes, hey, hey, it's, trust me. He goes, listen, to get that rope hung, whoever climbed up there has to be one of the better climbers in the world. It is inverted. Trust me, whoever got that rope up there is freaky good. And this is a very safe rope. You've got to trust me. He goes, I swung, I swung on it yesterday two or three times. You're good to go. And I was like, I don't know. And he goes, well, I could call a man to do it. Um, I was like, dang it, man, shaming me again. So, and, and nothing shameful about being a lady, but um, when you're a man, you don't want to be called one. So, um, so I succumbed to peer pressure, right? So, um, but, but here, here's the thing. There's... Times in your life where you just, you, you trust things that you don't know if they're trustworthy, and you just kind of got to do it. And, and it, it, there's a lot of times in your life where you have an active faith. I want you to watch the video. Here's a little video of me doing it, and you can uh, just see how I almost peed my pants. All right, you ready? No. Here we go. No. Let's go past that rock right there. Here, you video. It's already rolling. You got it? Yeah. yeah, keep walking sideways. Yeah, that yeah. And you'll see it'll kind of start pulling you a little as you walk. Yeah. Run as fast as you can in that direction. As fast as I can? Yeah. What if I just jog? You're going to want to run. Just run as fast as I'm going to want to run? Yeah. Go, go to the dirt first before you yeah. go. Go You're not going to be able to run that far. Yeah. Okay. All right, I just run off. Run. Down that little trail. Yep. Here we go. Three, two, one, go. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh. That's incredible. Oh. Hey, don't cuss. You so won't be able to show to people in your church. I said God. You used the Lord's name in I heard you say God. You said gosh. Look at his face. He's an odd. He's never been to the heights with this. Oh gosh. Yes, dude. So what do I do now? Let go of the rope. Let go of the rope. <laughs> Let go of the rope. Put your hands out. I can't. Two. <laughs> hey. You're not having one. It's all I got. <laughs> You're not even doing anything by touching the rope. Oh. Let go. Two. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> look. Hey, look down right now. What? Look nope. down. <laughs> yeah, that's down. So what do I do now to get down? Yeah. <laughs> uh, nothing. We're gonna go get dinner. We'll see you later. <laughs> yeah. So it dawned on me when I showed this last night how stupid I am that I didn't even know how I was gonna get down. I just went. And um. So you know, they're good friends. They let me hang there for five minutes and threw stuff at me. <laughs> and then they, they finally taught me all I had to do was lower myself down. I lowered myself down. And um, that was an amazing experience. I'll never do that again. But anyways, <laughs> here's what I want you to understand. Um, we trust things all the time. We, trust, you know, we put our trust in all kinds of things that we don't know how they work. Um, we, we do that with our life all the time. I remember um, years ago, I was a youth pastor, and I took students to Knott's Berry Farm. And you go to Knott's Berry Farm, and just give you a little, little secret, a SoCal secret, Knott's Berry Farm is like the perfect mix of Disneyland 
and, and uh, Magic Mountain. You get all the crazy rides like Magic Mountain, but you get some ambiance and fried chicken. Anyway, so we went to Knott's Berry Farm, and they have a thing called Extreme Scream, and it goes, you know, up, I don't know, a million feet in the air. It's like 800 feet in the air. It's crazy, and you're sitting in a chair, just a chair with like you're locked down in a chair, legs dangling 800 feet in the air, and then they just drop you. And it just, it's pretty crazy. So I'm in line, and I'm kind of watching, and I'm watching all the staff that run this ride. And I know you're not supposed to judge, but I did. And um, they just didn't look like the sharpest tools in the shed running this, like, giant piece of equipment. And I'm standing there, and I'm kind of, like, thinking about it. And I'm like, man, we have thousands of people just get on this. They never question who's running it or anything. So I, the guy at the front of the line, I asked the guy letting us in, I go, so dude, what kind of training do you get to do this? He goes, training? What are you talking about? I go, what? I go, what about the dude in the booth running the whole thing? He goes, that guy, that guy's an idiot. <laughs> and every day, you use things, like your phone. You don't know how it really works underneath here, or most of us don't. You just push buttons and it works for some reason. You put your faith in it. You turn your car on. Most of you don't know how your car works. You push the button or you turn the key and the car turns on somehow and it goes. You push the gas and it goes. You sat in your chair today. You didn't know if it was gonna hold you up or not. You just trusted it. We trust things every day that we don't know if they're gonna work or not. And um, th this, is, this is what I wanna talk to you about today is your faith and your, and your trust in God. And I want, um, today we're gonna read from John chapter 20, my friend Brendan is going to come out. And if you're able to, we're going to, I'd love it if you could stand in honor of God's word. And we're going to read John chapter 20, verse 1 through 10. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight in the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So, you know, when we read this passage, um, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Every Easter, I have to get, get up here and um, preach the exact same story over and over every year. It's the same story. So if you just come on Easter, we actually do other stuff besides this story, believe it or not. Um, but but I, I want you to know, every Easter, I got to give the same message of the resurrection, but somehow I know what you guys are thinking. You're like, come on, pastor, entertain me. Dance, monkey, dance, because you, you got 30 minutes to keep my attention. And... Um, you know, when we, when we look at this passage today, I, I want you maybe to look a little deeper and see something a little different today for, from John. And see, um, a lot of people, they struggle with uh, faith. As a matter of fact, um, 
one of the arguments against the Bible is that um, in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all tell the resurrection story differently. And um, some skeptics, and I'll be honest with you, skeptics that don't really understand um, literature, they don't understand history, they don't under, understand the full context of things, um, they'll say, see, the stories don't all match up, therefore it must be made up. But what any even secular historian will tell you is the fact that all four of the gospel stories don't match up perfectly is the very reason they are history. The very reason they're not fables, they're not made up. I want you to think about a situation. Imagine you and I were on a, uh, at a four-way intersection. I'm on this corner, you're on that corner, two more people on the opposite corners, and we see a five-car collision, five-car pileup. All of a sudden, um, the police grab us and they ask us, what happened? If we all told the exact same story with all the exact same details and all the exact same things, the cops would all say they got together and made that thing up. They're not telling the truth. The fact is, you and I would have saw the same event happen differently. And this is why the four gospels kind of tell it differently because they all saw it happen and they're all eyewitness accounts. And you can't say it's a made up story uh, because Time and time again, it proves itself as history. As, as we go farther and farther in the new millennium, we learn more about archaeology, we learn more about the world we live in, we realize something happened that day, and the, 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 all the witnesses are describing what they've seen. And I love, in the book of John, I don't know if you notice this, but John never refers to himself by his name. He never says I, he never says John. As a matter of fact, most of the time, he refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. Dad loves me more, right? That's, I mean, as a matter of fact, I don't know if you noticed as Brennan was reading it, I made sure I said, hey, make sure you read this part with some sass so they get it. But, but John points out that he runs faster than Peter. He said they both set out to run to the tomb. But this, <laughs> he basically says, I got there before Peter, neener, neener, neener. That's not really why John does that. Actually, John does that in his gospel because he wants people to think about Jesus, not him in his eyewitness account. So he never uses his name. He's actually very humble. But, but he, he gives these little details. And if you notice, he gets there first and he sticks his head in the tomb and there's no one there. And I don't know if you've ever been robbed, but that's kind of a, like when something precious has been stolen, that's a, like, it's an adrenaline rush. It's very scary. You, he stuck his head in and went, oh, he's gone. And he pulled himself out. But of course, Peter is a whole different kind of guy. He's a bungee jumping, pinto driving kind of guy. He runs right into the tube. He looks in and laying there are what, what are called grave clothes. They're, they're strips of linen, and a cloth that would have covered him completely. And um, it's, it's interesting, though, because in the ancient world, uh, if, you were, if you died, you, you were very different than you are today. Like today, if you, if you die, which I'm here to tell you, you will one day, um, you'll, you, you would pr probably, if you didn't get cremated, they'd put you in a suit or a dress, however you want. It's California. You can dress how you want, I guess. But um, they, they would put you in, in an outfit, a really nice outfit, put you in a box and take you to the graveyard, put you in the ground. Everyone would say a few, you know, a few prayers, cry, and then they'd go back to the church and have potato salad. That would be your funeral, right? Well, in the ancient world, totally different. 
They, they um, you know, one of the first things that happened is they would strip you naked and then they would pour spices all over your body. Um, and it was to prevent your body from stinking. But pouring spices on a dead body is like pouring spices on a dead body. It's still going to stink eventually. But it would keep it for a while. And then they would wrap you in strips of linen. They would bind your hands together like this. And they would bind your feet together like this. And then you would lay. And you, you would look like a mummy, basically. You know, kind of thing. And they would put you, if you've if you ever been to the Middle East, they would put you in a hole. And there, um, the, the way the Middle East works, there's caves everywhere. Thousands of caves everywhere you go. It's, it's just kind of the topography of the land. They're in the ground. Sometimes they lower you down in a hole. Sometimes they put you in the side cave, wherever they put you. And then they put the stone over it. And a lot of times they would build like some kind of meeting room above your tomb or above your family's tomb. And it was called an upper room. And at, after one year of your death, your body would have decomposed. Your family would come back to that place, that upper room, and they would commemorate you. They would, they would remember you. Right, and it was kind of kind of a thing. And then someone would come down, and all your flesh is gone, and now you're just bones. And they would take your bones, and they'd put it in a little box called an ossuary. And all your family were in these little boxes, and you were good to go. And that that's how they buried people in the ancient world. Now, uh, it's interesting that John points out that Jesus's grave clothes are just laying there. And why would he do that? Why why is that there? Well, I think, it's, I, I, I think it's for a reason. I think every word in God's word is for a reason. And uh, one, one of which, if you, if you go to John chapter 11, uh, they, they tell a story about Jesus at another funeral, not his own this time. And um, in John chapter 11, Jesus has this friend, this guy he loves, his name's Lazarus. And Lazarus is uh, very sick. And the disciples come to him. They say, Lord, Lord, Lazarus is sick. You, you need to go to him and, and you can heal him. So Jesus you know, he, for some reason, just takes his sweet time getting to Lazarus. Kind of like some of you do coming to church, right? You ever been to a church? I mean, it was Easter, so there's a lot of people here early to get a seat. But if you're here on a normal Sunday, they start the service, and you're like, good morning, 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 morning. <laughs> Praise the Lord, 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 Lord. Let's clap our hands, hands, hands. You know, there's like two people going, and they're always new. They're like, man, no one goes here. <laughs> but then by the time the sermon starts, it's full. Jesus takes his sweet time getting there. And Lazarus dies. And when he gets there, Lazarus' sister comes out to meet him. And she said, Lord, if you had only gotten here sooner, you could have healed him. And he says, oh, Lazarus is just asleep. He'll rise. And she goes, and, and she, she, she gets all spiritual on him. You know, she, she goes, oh, well, I know he'll rise one day at the resurrection. See, that was a common belief of the Jews, that, that their, their bodies would be resurrected. I know one day he'll rise at the resurrection. And she gets all super spiritual on him. I call it a Jesus juke. You know, when things get awkward, you go, well, God did this. You know, and you, you kind of give him a Jesus juke. And Jesus comes back at her with these words in John eleven twenty five 25 and 26. And he, it says, Jesus said to her, Mary, I am the resurrection. It's, it's not something in the future. You're looking at it. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even though they die. And whoever, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he asked her, do you believe this? Do you believe it? 
See, that's a question you should ask right now. He gets there and he sees everyone mourning, everyone weeping. And, and at that point, you, you realize, and he discloses in the story, look, I came here, I'm gonna raise him from the dead. And it was to glorify God so you could see that I'm, I am really who I say I am. I am the resurrection. And um, something interesting happens, though, in that story. He gets there, and he knows Lazarus is gonna rise again. He knows it's, the story's gonna end happy, right? It's gonna be a happy ending. He knows all of that. And he looks around, and he sees Lazarus' family there, crying, weeping, sadness, because we know death is a terrible thing. It is a painful thing. There's a finality to death that it just feels like, uh, it just, it hurts. I, um, I'm doing the funeral on Friday of one of my mentors, and he was 87 years old, and he lived this incredible life. And there will be hundreds and hundreds of people there to commemorate him. He was a spiritual giant to so many people. But here's what I know. Death stings. And his family hurts. And we know he's in the presence of God and I'm gonna see him again, but it still hurts. And Jesus, he knew what he was gonna do. But he does something very, very curious. Knowing he's gonna raise him from the dead, he sees all this pain and actually it hits him. He sees what humans, because he's fully human now, what we go through at death. He sees the pain and the fear and all of that. And even though he knows he's gonna raise them from the dead, you have the shortest verse in all the Bible. He looks at all of them and it says that Jesus wept. See, God looks at your life and he knows all of us at certain points are gonna go through very hard things because um, sin and death have crept into this world and it affects all of us and we're all, we all, we're all gonna die and Jesus sees it and it breaks his heart even though he knows he's gonna raise Lazarus from the dead. This is how I know Jesus was God and I am not because I would have went in all cocky. I would have been like, oh yeah, you guys are crying? Watch this one. You know, that kind of thing, gloating. But Jesus weeps because he, he, he aches for our pain. He, he loves us. And then he, he says, roll away the stone. And that was scandalous. Everyone's like, what? No, he's dead. He's been dead for four days. Jewish people, they, 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 you know, they, they couldn't touch a dead person unless they were authorized to. It was just like a, a ter terrible thing. And in the old King James translation of the Bible, Mary says to him, but Lord, he hath been buried four days and he stinketh. That's a good way of saying it, huh? We should bring that back in our vernacular, especially those of us that have junior hires. Cleaneth your room, it stinketh. See, and then he said in a loud voice, he says, Lazarus, come out. Now imagine you're Lazarus for a minute. I want you to think about that for a second. The Bible says, I mean, I don't fully know what happens when you die, but the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So there he is, he's in, he's in heaven, I guess, and he's in the presence of God, and all of a sudden the voice of Jesus, he hears from heaven probably, Lazarus come out, and he's like, oh no. He's in this cave, this dark cave, he's covered in linens, his hands and feet are bound. If he was claustrophobic, you know he was freaking out, going, oh, why do I smell like frankincense and myrrh? the heck? 
rolls out of his thing, his hands and feet are bound, comes creeping out like a mummy, you know. His family, I don't know about you, I would have thought right away, walking dead. I'm like, oh, it's a walker. You know, I'm creeped out by that. He comes walking out, bound like this. And Jesus says something very profound. In John eleven forty four, Jesus said to them, look what it says. Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Take off the grave clothes and let him go. See, I want to tell you about Easter and why we celebrate Easter. See, the Bible tells us this. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That no one in this room is perfect, including me. Um, I, I, you know, besides like physical sins, I sin in my head all the time. Jesus said, if you hate a brother or a sister, or um, you call him a fool or whatever, um, you've you committed murder in your heart. That, some of you, I, you did it on the 41. You're going to do it in the parking lot today. He also said in Matthew 5, he said, listen, if you've ever looked lustfully at someone of the opposite sex that was not your spouse, you're an adulterer. You know what that means? It's a room full of adulterers and murderers. Now, if you have little ones here, they're probably asking, what does that mean? You can say, ask the youth pastor. (laughs) So here's the deal. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. And the Bible says in Romans 6, 23, that for the wages of our sin is death. We're, we're dead. We're, we're just waiting to die. I'm gonna let you in on something. Once you hit about 20, 21 years old, your body stops growing and you start dying, believe it or not. Your body starts decaying. I'm 44 years old and I feel it every day more and more, right? And, and that, that's just kind of how nature works. We're dying. And um, it's, it's an inevitable thing. It says, for the wages of sin is death. That's also spiritual separation from God for eternity. You're, you're dead and you're separated from God because God can't be with sin. There's good news, though, because there's a special word in the Bible that really helps, and, and, and it, it's a holy word. It's but. Some of you, the only thing you're gonna get out of today is The word but is holy. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. That's good news. So so here's the deal. The Bible says that before you were in Christ, you were dead to your sins. You were in the tomb. You've got the grave clothes on. And until you are in Christ, you are just living life in the tomb. You're, You're waiting to die, waiting to be eternally separated from God. You're in your grave clothes. Your grave clothes are your sin. The tomb is is your destiny. And you're gonna be there. And you'll live there. And you'll be trying to, you know, find some kind of happiness while you're there. You know, you're like, well, if I could just be, if I could just be uh, more wealthy, then I'd be happy. And you'd be in the grave. And you can be as rich as you want. And you can be a billionaire. You're still in the tomb. And it doesn't do it for you. You think, oh, I could, if I could be more beautiful. Or I could be more handsome. Then, you know, and, and you, you know, you, guys, you, you eat a Tic Tac and brush your hair and iron your shirt and you look more beautiful all of a sudden and, and, and you're still not happy. Oh, if I had a better career. Oh, if I had that. You're just in the tomb. That's why none of that stuff will ever fully do it for you. You'll get it and then you'll, it's like grasping the wind. You'll just want more. 
Because you're in your grave clothes and you're in your tomb. And all of it is temporal. Why do you think celebrities are some of the more miserable people on the planet? Because they've got to the top and went, oh my gosh, there's nothing more to grab. And I'm still in the tomb. I'm not saying all celebrities are bad. Just Bob Saget. But anyways... But on Easter Sunday, today, here's what I want you to know. For some of you, God's saying, get up, get out of the tomb, take your grave clothes off. And here's the good news. When I'm, well, actually, I'm gonna let you in on a little bad news first. When you take your grave clothes off, um, you're actually naked. But something good happens. See, what God knew is that you are not a bad person. Sin has affected you and me, but what God knew was under the grave clothes is someone beautiful, created in the image of God, created for a purpose, created with, 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 with a life's purpose, that you are made to be someone. That, that you probably know deep in your heart, like, I'm not really who I'm supposed to be, but I don't know who that is. And I don't know what I'm, I'm supposed to look like. And, you know, you, you, know you, you may be thinking, you know, I'm a full-grown adult, and I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. And see, the truth of the matter is, until you take your grave clothes off, you can't be the person God created you to be. And here's the good news. When you take the grave clothes off, you're naked, but Jesus, he's so good. The Bible says that he takes, he puts on, in the book of Romans it says, he puts on you robes of righteousness. It doesn't mean that you're gonna become this righteous person, that when you take the grave clothes off, all of a sudden you're gonna be like, no more birds land on your shoulders you're like hello my friends you're not going to be like that you're probably still going to struggle with sin you have a mortal body sin is in this world all that but what happens is Jesus puts his righteousness on you all the good things that God Jesus has ever done the perfect life that he lived is put on you you get credit for it and the perfect life he lives you get to go to heaven because of his he puts on his robes of righteousness around you and that's good news and this proves that the 1040 service is better than the nine o'clock because I got one amen in that one. So anyway, so here's, here's the deal. I think John in, 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 in this story tells us on purpose, Jesus left his clothes for you because he wants to put them on you. But you can only do that if you receive him. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, But as many as received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That you don't get to become a child of God, a child of the most high God because you go to church. You don't get to become a child of the most high God because your grandma was a Christian and she was really good, and you're gonna get in the back door with her because she knows St. Peter. You don't get to go to heaven and become a child of God because you are a really good person. You did a lot of good things and you're in the Kiwanis and you served in the PTO and um, you did all kinds of good stuff and your kids went to a good college and you raised them well and they're good functioning human beings and um, they actually don't even live at home with us anymore. And that's not gonna get you into heaven either. Um, those are all good things, but they won't get you there. The only thing that gets you into God's family is if you would receive Jesus. And when you receive Jesus, the Bible says that God puts on the, clothes, the robes of righteousness. So you have to receive him. 
Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are like, well, listen, I, you know, this is all quaint. I get this. I hear it every Easter. You know, Jesus died for my sins. He rose again. Um, but I'm a rational person, and I believe in rational things. I believe in science, right? You're, you're, you know, you're that, that kind of person, and I totally understand that. Um, I, I view myself as a fairly rational person as well. I remember um, one time I was having a conversation with a good friend of mine who is an atheist, um, and is an awesome guy, a sweet guy, a compassionate guy, one of the more compassionate, he's actually more compassionate than a lot of Christians I know, I'm gonna be honest. And we were talking about it, and somehow the resurrection came up, and he goes, well, I just can't buy it, man. You know, I, I, I believe in empirical things, things that can be proved, and that, you know, dead people don't rise. And I get it. Some of you are thinking, listen, I know those ancient people back then, they were very superstitious, and, you know, they, they had all kinds of weird rituals, and, you know, they believe people rise from the dead, but we're modern people, we have science, we know better. We know better. Dead people don't rise. Here, I want to explain something to you is um, people from the first century probably knew better than you about death. Most of you in this room have never watched someone physically die in front of your eyes. Um, that's not the way our culture works. In the first century, uh, people living during that time, one in three of their children died. So they watched their children die. Um, they saw people die all the time. It was a very brutal world. The life expectancy was about 50 years old. Every time they went into the city of Jerusalem, the Romans were crucifying people outside the doors. Um, they couldn't hide their kids from it. There were no like rated G movies back then. When you went into Jerusalem for the Passover, you may see people hanging, dying, suffering. They knew better than anyone because of all their friends and family and enemies that died before them that dead people don't rise. They knew that. And here, here's what I want you to understand. And, I, and, and I, I said this to him. I said, I know you don't believe in the resurrection, but li listen, man, don't you hope it's true? And he was like, well, I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, if, if it is true, I'm screwed because I've totally denied Christ. I don't believe in him. I'm like, I, I, get, I get that, man. I go, but, but think about it. You're like one of the more compassionate people I've ever met. Like, you have such a heart for the poor, and you want people that, that are suffering to get help, and you want people to get health care, and you, 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 know, you, you care about people in, in third world countries, and you, you, you know, you, you've even gone and, and, and done things overseas with them, and um, you care about justice. You, I, I see how mad you get when evil people do evil things to other people. You know, we see about it in the news all the time. And, and how that, you, you just cry out for justice. I go, follow me this, with this, on, this, dude. Think about it. Now you believe there's no God and that one day you're just gonna die and you're gonna, you'll no longer exist, you have no soul, you're just a dude, you're gonna be planted in the ground and become worm food. He goes, yeah. And I go, and you also believe that there's no full purpose for humans being on the earth. We're just the highest evolved creatures and some would debate that, right? Um, if, I'm not gonna pick on any particular state in our union. But anyway, so um, let's pick on Bob Saget. Anyway, so here's the point. I go, listen, man, you believe we're just the highest evolved creatures and it happened by some random chance um, billions of years ago and we just, by millions and millions of genetic mutations, um, we've elevated above the salamander. So I go, here's the thing. If you're right, then why any justice in this world? 
What, why, why, why would you care about anyone committing acts of evil? Why would you care about the poor? Why would you care about the hurting? Would you not just be survival of the fittest to, to propagate your species? And he was like, well, I, I don't know, man. That's kind of harsh. And I said, no, well, go with me on this. Hold on, listen. I go, but if the resurrection is true, if Jesus is real, Jesus said one day that he's gonna come back and all that is sad, all that is evil, all that is unjust is gonna come untrue. He's gonna undo all of that. He's gonna put it all to rights, that the wicked will be punished, that the, the, the sick will be healed, that the poor will be brought up, that all justice will happen. But if it doesn't happen, and what you think happens, there will be no justice, and everything you work for is a waste of your time. And he went, dude, that's not cool. See, Jesus is very rational. There's a guy named Alistair McGrath. And Alistair McGrath um, is a professor at uh, Cambridge. He has his PhD in molecular biology. And he also has his PhD in theology. He, he has like three or four PhDs. He's a really smart dude. And, um, and a lot of people go, well, yeah, but I believe in science. And here's what I want you to know. That's cool you believe in science. But I want you to know where science is going because typically people that just solely believe in science, that's an antiquated thought. Um, Cambridge in 2014 started a whole new program and it's starting at a, a lot of the, the uppity schools. You know, um, McGrath has taught at uh, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Stanford, Clovis Community College, Clovis North, all the good schools. And he said this. They started the Center for Faith and Science, and he's the, the lead professor of it, because they realized that the theologian and the scientists are going to meet on the same hill, and there they're going to find Jesus Christ, the creator of all things. And he tells a story of how he was an angry young atheist, and he ended up uh, really not believing in God and, and really, like, picking on religious people because they were easy to pick on because typically they weren't as smart as him and he's brilliant. And as a grad student, he realized though that he, something was missing in his life and he knew he wasn't who he was supposed to be. So he set out and he went to the library and he got a big stack of self-help books and none of them religious because he didn't want anything to do with that, but he started reading them. And one of the books he, he read was the works of Plato. And in Plato's, uh, it's called The Republic, Plato tell, tells a, a story, and he asks us to imagine a group of men living in a cave. And the cave is sealed, and there's only a flickering little flame, just an itty-bitty flame. And they've been in this cave their whole lives. It's all they've ever known. It is their reality, this dark cave. They've never seen each other's face. They only see shadows. They've never been outside. They don't know that there's a sun. They don't know about colors. They don't know about any of those things. But... Their reality is nothing but darkness and shadows. And see, Plato writes this story, and, and as you're reading it, you know what, he, what he's trying to do. He's trying to help us understand that maybe there's a world outside of the cave. What we think is reality may not be the full base of reality, that there may be so much more, more to this world, there may be so much more to your life if you would come out of the tomb. 
See, for some of you, you live in the shadowlands. And reality to you is nothing but the shadows. And on Easter, April 16th, 2017, Jesus is saying to you right now, come out of the tomb. Take your grave clothes off. Let me put my robes of righteousness on you. I'm calling you by name. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone listens, I will come in and be with them. That you could receive Christ this morning. Let's pray.